Welcome to After Awakening. Here we discuss enlightenment and the greater spiritual reality with meditation masters and spiritual teachers. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm here today with Ron Schlegel. He is a therapist. He's been one for over 35 years. Ron, I'm excited to be talking to you. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. The The reason I wanted to, to bring Ron on, everyone, is I've had multiple friends with anxiety, problems with porn addiction, and I've sent them to Ron. And it's like they've forgotten they had a problem. They forgot that they had this these panic attacks that they suffered from for years. And Ron's able to do this through his own mix of intuitive counseling and a modality called Psych-K. From what I know about you, Ron, you were practicing traditional psychotherapy for decades, and you somehow stepped into this world of energy psychology and medicine, and you found that you were getting results just drastically faster than you would with traditional psychotherapy, correct? Yes. Yeah, I tend to think of myself as having been a square peg who's trying to fit himself in a round hole. Me too. Uh, <laughs> I was a traditional psychotherapist and boy, I went through a lot to try to make it work for me and fit into the system. But there was always been this little rebel inside of me, this person who wanted to do things differently and felt like the things I was doing really weren't quite right. For a while, I thought it was my problem that there was something wrong with me. I wasn't smart enough. I didn't know enough and all of that to be able to be the kind of therapist I wanted to be. But eventually, because I was working on myself at the same time, I realized that, you know, what I first thought were weaknesses in myself were really strengths. I was very sensitive. I was very sensitive as a kid in an early age. And I grew up in a farm family and in a farm family, you're out there doing hay and trying to make a living and get by. And here's this kid who's skinny <laughs> and sensitive and all of that. So how do you fit into a world when you feel so different than everybody else? So that was a theme for me for through much of my career. Part of me became a therapist to try to fix myself in some ways. So... This was probably, obviously, a couple of decades ago. What was it like being a sensitive, intuitive, and empath at that time when there was not much literature or even acceptance of this sort of thing? And I'm sure that led into led to actual spiritual awakening and a spiritual orientation on life. How did you? How alone did you feel? What was that like for you back then? Yeah, I spent a lot of time alone. I grew up on a dairy farm and I didn't have too many neighbors nearby. My All my siblings were older than I was, so I was the youngest in the family. And so I spent a lot of time in the woods, uh, a lot of time by myself. And there were, that's the way I, that's where I felt the most comfortable. And it's the way I coped the best was being by myself. So I was an introvert. And there was a tree that was out there in a field all by itself, a white pine tree. And I used to go there and I used to climb it and sit in a tree and I used to feel the energy of the tree and it just felt like it was enveloping me. It was like, had its arms around me and was holding me and nurturing me. And that's where I, I really got recharged and it was 
just a beautiful experience. Then I'd have to be a normal kid, go to school, and there were a bunch of jocks in, in my high school, and I just didn't fit into that scene at all. I could have hardly dribble a basketball, let alone put it through the hoop. So I felt like an outsider much of the time. Fortunately, I was relatively good in academics, so I got through pretty well, and then I befriended the smartest kid in the class, and <laughs> we we survived together. Yeah, but then over time, I I changed. I realized that my what I thought were weaknesses were really strengths. At what point did that start to happen? Because it seems it's different for everyone when that transformation or when that shift really takes place. When was that for you, and what did it look like? I think it happened probably somewhat gradually over time, but when I graduated from college and I started working, I went to Maine and I was working in Bangor, Maine, in a mental health clinic. I encountered some other very sensitive people as well. And that friendship really opened up my eyes to so many things of a spiritual nature that one could be psychic or intuitive and use those skills to be able to help other people but also as a way of managing through life and they're just I had so many beautiful experiences energetically and that really anchored me into a different way of looking at life in the world and how did being intuitive or or empathic manifest for you were you able to feel other people's pains or hear their thoughts what was that actually like Yes. And at first, it can be overwhelming because you don't know how to manage it. But I sometimes I didn't even know if it was me or the other person. So there was a learning experience with that, knowing that, hey, I am picking up on something. I learned to trust it over time. And it was just so rewarding to get feedback then over time from other people about, wow, you were so right on with that observation. Or I, w- I had a coach who was the head of the psychology department at UCLA. He was he had provided a training and then was coaching me through a traditional form of therapy. But he must have been somewhat into alternative stuff as well, because one day he said to me, it was almost as if you're in my head when you're working with another person. He says, you're saying exactly the way I would say it. You do it you're do you doing it just the way I would do it. it. really gave me a lot of confidence that I had that ability to tune in. The feedback from my clients, for the most part, was wonderful because they would tell me, like, you're one of the first people that ever felt like really listened to me and really understood me and so on. So that's where the empathic stuff came in. And then I learned more traditional stuff that helped me as well. Instead of telling people what to do or what to think or anything, I just learned to ask good questions. And that's a powerful tool. Wow. And how did that, did you end up, I guess, experimenting or picking up some different meditation practices or anything of that sort over the course of your life? Or have you just been intuitive? Did you ever feel that you were a spiritual seeker, for example, and actually... On this journey towards the divine, what was that? How was that? That's correct. The bottom line is my spiritual journey is really the most important thing in my life. Mm. That started at an early age, and it just has matured and grown over time. And all the other stuff is just a bonus. It's really just a wonderful, beautiful journey. And everybody that I work with teaches me something. 
I get something out of that experience. And I pray before each session. I want, I'm looking for that win-win. And I try to get myself out of the way so it's not me doing anything. I try to turn it over to the divine. When I say I try, it's like I find myself coming back in <laughs> and trying to control. So I just have to constantly watch that. It's an exercise of just letting it go, letting it go and turning it over to divine. Please just guide me in what to think, do, and say, and help me connect to this person in a way that, you know, is beneficial. So before we, we dive into Psyche and the things that you actually do on people, I just have to ask, what are some of the major lessons that you picked up after, you know, 35 years, 40 years, a lifetime in spirit? If you're able to actually go back to yourself when you were 30, for example, there's a few people that are going to listen to this at the 30. You know, what would you have said to your 30-year-old self if he was open enough to listen? I love that question, by the way. I think that's fantastic. Part of me wants to be funny. I want to slap myself upside the head and say, you shithead, wake up. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's with an open heart. I really would want that part of me to learn how to really love himself you know wow that is just so precious to be able to figure out and to really love yourself just the way you are and i'm still learning about that unconditional love is just an amazing thing and it's so deep it has so many layers and ultimately i think that when we can get to that place where we totally love ourselves unconditionally, we then have no separation between us and our creator. Sense of it. It's the real answer lies in love and not in judgment. And we carry with us so much baggage. We carry with us so much baggage we're not even aware that we're carrying. So to that 30 year old is, this is not who you are. And a lot of the stuff that is driving you to behave a certain way or feel a certain way is really just subconscious programming. And that stuff is not who you really are. We can change that. You don't have to hold on to that stuff. You can clear it out. Yeah, let's dive right into that. The fundamental issue of psychology, why can't we change? We wanna change ourselves we're not able to, we want to start a workout program, lose weight. We're not able to, we want to make more money. Sometimes we're not able to from having worked on so many people. What does this really come down to this? It just seems for whatever reason, as hard as people try, they're not able to make the changes they're satisfied with other people. They're able to, but there's a huge population It's self-help is this kind of thing they get into and they never really see anything changing, but they go along with it. So what's the magic sauce for this, Ron? How do people actually change? First of all, I want to say, I don't know everything. <laughs> I'm not an expert in this journey of, of learning myself, but um, one of the people that I strongly recommend is Bruce Lipton. If people haven't read any of his books, I think they would find him very enlightening. Now he's a cell biologist, but he can, he's able to explain how our beliefs are much more influential on, on every part of our life than we realize. So research shows about 95% of our behavior is driven by the subconscious mind. Think about that, about 95% 
of our behavior is driven by our subconscious mind. So we have this programming that's running in the background constantly. And it's accumulated over time from our childhood all the way to now, even starting in the womb. So we pick up beliefs from our parents. We pick up beliefs and images about ourselves from the way people interface with us and interact with us. We are programmed by the things we we're told and the educational system we we're in. So there's just so much programming. Our subconscious mind is like this vast warehouse of information and it's controlling us rather than us controlling it unless we have the opportunity to be more consciously aware of the fact that it's happening and then we can really start to dive in and work with that stuff that's on a subconscious level and start to change it so then our world can change because there's a correlation between what we believe how we think and what comes to us in the world it's we're magnets we pull to us we create those things that are in alignment with what we believe and think and feel so if we can change what we believe think and feel then the world around us changes and i see it over and over again i've seen it in my own life in my own practice in my own finances in my own health every aspect of my life is somewhat connected to that programming and wow we can take control of that now we can change that that's exciting it's an adventure now so now we can really take better control of our lives by going into our subconscious clearing out the stuff that's blocking us from being the kind of person we want to be and uh, it's quite an adventure to go in there and do that and it gives us a lot more freedom in terms of who we are have because our life reflects back to us what it is that we're putting out there absolutely absolutely so uh, i remember bruce lipton saying there are a few ways to really program and access the subconscious repeating an affirmation on the border of sleep was one of them but he mentioned that there's this modality that's phenomenal called psych k that is able to activate the left and right hemispheres of the brain so you can really program the subconscious with, with the affirmation or a command that, that you want. Can you explain how that works? And can you also explain how that in a way like overrides or deactivates a negative program? Yeah, I'll do my best on that. I, I'm not a scientist, but um, sure. we have these neural pathways in our brain. So anytime we think of something, <clears throat> these neural pathways fire and it's a network of pathways. So they're like little highways. And if you imagine a city with all these little roads, these big roads intertwining and exits and on-ramps and all of that, that's like the network in our brain. And they can put electrodes in your brain now and they can show you where certain thoughts and feelings are firing when you're having those experiences. So you think of chocolate ice cream, for example. Ah, okay, chocolate ice cream's firing over here. The same goes for any memory you have from your past, any time somebody told you you weren't worthy or lovable or whatever, it, there's all these things that trigger and fire. Uh, the thing is they tend to follow the same pathway and uh, they can build on top of each other. So you end up having this network of programming in your brain or firing the same way every time. When you think of 
I'm lovable, for example. And then you have these highways in there that are saying, oh, no, you're not. You did this. You did that. This person told you. This person told you that. So that network exists in there. The uh, cool thing is uh, Psyche comes along and they came up with a way to facilitate a process in the brain where things can change easily. The brain has a capacity to change relatively easily and it's called neuroplasticity. That's the cool thing about the brain and your subconscious. You can really change things rather quickly because there are some unique characteristics of the subconscious mind. So one of the unique characteristics of the subconscious mind is that it works much faster than the conscious mind. To use a commute computer analogy, the conscious mind processes information at about 40 bits of information per second. The subconscious mind is more like 40 million bits of information per second. And so there's no comparison to. So you go to traditional therapy, and I spent a lot of years doing this with people, and you don't see the kind of changes you'd like to see. People come for a year and they've made some changes, but just doesn't get you where you want to be. So if you want to make real change, you've got to make it on a subconscious level. And the good news, you can make it really fast on a subconscious level. You just have to know how to get there and access it. And so in Psyche, there's many different ways to do it. But a typical way, and you'll even see it on the Internet, sometimes people crossing their ankles and their wrists. It's just a small piece of the puzzle. But that allows for what we call that reprogramming of the uh, beliefs and the emotions and the memories so that we can disconnect from the old pathways. Was there any indication of how this was discovered or, or where this specific technique came from? I'm, I'm guessing that your uh, readership, the people who are watching this, have more of a spiritual orientation and yes. so on. So I think it's fair to say that my understanding is that it was just a download of information that came to Rob Williams all at once. And it came out of a, a sincere and deep request on his part to he appealed to the divine for a better answer. Basically, as a traditional therapist, he just felt this is not working very well. There's got to be a better answer. And so when we ask a question deeply from our soul on that level, we get answers. And so it was, I think, funny for him in a way. He went outside and he was yelling at God. He was angry. And God, he says this out loud in, in his presentation. He goes, I didn't expect an answer. <laughs> So he gets this answer, and it's all this information about how to start doing Psyche. So he runs back into his office, and he starts typing it down on the computer and so on. And he has it all in there. And then all of a sudden, he forgets everything. So he, it was like, wow, at least I have it on the computer. So then he started working with it, and he realized how powerful it was. And then over time, he even got more information and, and how to do this work. And so that's the magic of it. We're not alone in the world. <laughs> and the spirit, why not connect? Why not get our limited self out of the way and allow the divine to come through? Uh, I know you've helped so many people with, with Psyche over the years. Are there any stories or any particular experiences that just beyond what you would consider ordinary by any means, um, as far as healing is concerned. 
Are there any that stick out to your mind right now that you could share? There are many stories. And I have to be careful about sharing certain stories because the work I do is confidential, but I'll rely on some of the stories that I've told before uh, in other venues because people have given me permission to do that. Perfect. This is when I was really brand new using Psyche. And you know how when you first learn something you're really excited about, you want to try it on everybody. And I'm in my office and one of the staff that was working with me came into my office and she said, I just have to go. I, I have a migraine headache and I I have to, it's been with me for a couple of days now. Like nothing I do helps. I, I've got to go to the doctor, get a shot or something to, to relieve this pain. It's just killing me. And I said, oh, sure, whatever you have to do. But I just learned something that might help. Are you, are you willing to give it a try? And she goes, I'll try anything. (laughs) When people are motivated, that's always exciting too. I said, fine. And I started off by just asking a a basic question that is useful. Can you remember when did you first start having migraine headaches? And, And she got really silent. And she said, oh. She goes, around the time that my father tried to murder my mother, (laughs) <laughs> I went, wow. I didn't realize it was going to hit pay dirt so quickly. I said, wow, that that's intense. And instead of just like using a traditional therapy approach and asking questions and di- diving deeper into that, I just went right into the process of Psyche. And what we did was we did a process to work on that trauma, that experience that she had as a child knowing that her father had tried to murder her mother and it wasn't but a few minutes her migraine was gone it went very fast and she was astounded she says i can't believe it i don't have a migraine anymore and not only that she's never had a migraine since and this is years have gone by so not all cases are exactly like that because there may be other variables that her migraines seem to be very very connected to that one event or one time frame in her life and so when she was able to release that it was like huge the other problem that she had which was chronic is she couldn't sleep at night she had she'd maybe get two to four hours sleep at night and as a result she had uh, taken on extra jobs just because if I can't sleep, I might as well be working. She started to be able to sleep and get regular night sleep for her every night, and that blew her away. So that was that was just perfect for me because it it immediately gave me positive feedback about how powerful this work is. And Huge then, feedback. <laughs> yeah, and I dove right in because I was working with a, uh, uh, with veterans at a VA hospital. And so okay. I was working with veterans who had severe PTSD and other severe emotional issues. And I, I'd have these big guys come in tough. And I was thinking to myself, they're going to think I'm nuts. <laughs> but I said, okay, I learned something new. You want, you want to give it a try? And their attitude for the most part was, man, I'll try anything if it works. And I said, okay. And I'd start using Psyche with them and they were blown away because here they were carrying around with them this deep emotional trauma, things that they couldn't even talk about. 
and they were releasing it and their physical symptoms were getting better they were feeling less paranoid driving down a road and waiting for a bomb to go off or whatever it was their lives really were changing and it was, became the most rewarding thing for me all of a sudden i just love my work so much that it, i wasn't thinking about retirement anymore i was thinking oh god i said this is i gotta have to do this the rest of my life it's so great that is fantastic because there's so many people that cannot say that about their career and and what it is that they do and yeah I, w I wanted to ask you about that specific subject too there's there's so many people that don't feel like they're doing what they really want what it is that they don't want to do i i directly addressed this problem with you at, with psych k and it really helped and i'm sure you see this all the time people for just whatever reason they're just not doing their soul's purpose yeah we have many voices in our head or different types of programming in the subconscious so we can have opposing thoughts and feelings going on at the same time in our subconscious so one voice is telling us you can do whatever you want you can you're creative you're this you're that and another voice saying you'll never amount to anything you'll never make any money it isn't you'll never be good enough whatever it is so you, you have all these voices there and so then you can go in and work with this on a subconscious level and reprogramming reprogram those voices you can clear out the ones that are negative you can hold on to the ones you want to and, and why wouldn't you why wouldn't you just decide i'm going to go for the ones i really want and keep them there and get rid of the ones i don't want and uh, you can do that now the it's interesting because so, uh, some of those voices are maybe coming from people that you love dearly like your parents or, and you've spent most most of your life trying to please them uh, or make them feel proud of you and so you have to work on that as well let go of that need to please anybody or get anybody to feel proud about you yeah big expectation there to drop for a lot of people certainly so i want to ask you about psych k and this specific modality of accessing programming changing the subconscious are you able to do it on yourself or do you yeah. need it to be facilitated by yes. a therapist no you can do it on yourself but you have to get the training so uh, rob williams is a stickler about that he really doesn't want anybody like me teaching someone else how to do psyche he wants his certified uh, trainers to do that i've decided just to continue to be a practitioner because that's what I love doing. I don't particularly want to train, but the modality is powerful and it's actually quite simple, but there are a lot of intricacies to it. And, and it, he wants people just to be able to be true to the protocols. And when you get formally trained, then anyone can work on themselves. They can work on other people. They can charge if they want to. And you can start doing that right after the basic training. So I encourage anybody who's really interested in it, if they want to learn how to do it, by all means, do it. Because it'll become a tool for the rest of your life. I wake up in the morning and I'm feeling something that's uncomfortable. I've learned to just ask myself, okay, what's that about? And dig down into, into it and then use psyche to change it, whatever it is. And uh, wow, that's very powerful. And the cool thing about this modality is that it's it's for people that it's also for people that just want to better themselves and change specific habits and move forward in life and it doesn't always necessarily have to be about traumatic incidences correct correct yeah 
So as far as what you've seen in psychology and psychotherapy over so many years, is there anything else you found that's as effective for programming the subconscious or for dealing with trauma specifically that you use or that you've heard of? There are, I think, a lot of good techniques out there, and I, I encourage people to go to the ones that they're most drawn to. So I'm only talking from my own experience now with this, and the answer from my perspective is no, I haven't found anything that's, that's as effective. Things I've trained in are, now I'm blanking out, tapping. Yeah, EFT. Oh, EFT. Yeah. EFT. And that's a powerful tool, really a wonderful tool, but I've just, I've taken to Psyche K and I feel it's a little more efficient and effective than EFT. I know people who will do EMDR and who've trained in Psyche K and EMDR and now they're only doing Psyche. K. But I know that tool is very effective. EMDR has a lot of value. I also do Theta Healing and I combine Theta Healing with the work I do. So if there's any modality that I think is just about as effective, I would Theta Healing for sure. But I that's one I've trained in and I'm familiar with. But it's not about one modality being the sole answer. There's a lot of opportunity out there for change. I think the most important thing is to realize that you can change, you can heal, and follow your heart. Where are you drawn? To, to do and use in your life. To tell us about theta healing, because I've heard about theta healing, but I'm not too familiar with it. What is it exactly, and what does it have to do with the theta brainwave state? Yeah, I may not be the expert in explaining it all. I was trained in theta healing by someone that I'm not remembering the name of right at the moment. And I took to it pretty easily. And I think I took to it easily because I was always a sensitive kid and I was always in touch with energy. Healing is a way of connecting to someone else, helping them shift into a theta brainwave state and make a change in terms of a belief or help them move stuck energy or release something that's holding them back. And I have found that combining Psyche with Theta Healing can be extremely effective because while someone is actually doing the Psyche process, I can, with their permission, connect to them and I can see where they're stuck and I can help that energy move while they're also working on it at the same time. That's my own unique style or approach to working with people. It's not strictly Psyche. And, it's and that not, fits perfectly with your gifts as an intuitive. Yeah, exactly. Yes. It's taken me a number of years to trust and be comfortable with the information I'm getting and what I'm feeling. But even though I'm pretty comfortable with it, I say to people, you know, what I'm saying may not be true <laughs> because I really don't know. But this is what I feel. If it rings true for you, that's great. If it doesn't, that's okay too. Fantastic. Having done this for so long and been on a spiritual journey for so many years, was there ever a dark night of the soul for you? A period in your life that despite all your spiritual lessons, it was extremely difficult. And if there was, how did you get through it? Because I think those tools and lessons are really helpful for everyone listening. What's interesting, particular events, right, aren't yeah, okay. I had to think about that for a minute. What are some of those events in my life? I certainly had them, yes. <laughs> and one consistent 
variable seems to be true, and that is every time that I've had that difficult time in my life, in the end, I benefited greatly from it when I look back. It doesn't always have to be the case, but I think I've always been open to looking for the lesson and working through the trauma and not trying to shut it down. One analogy I like to use is like that skeleton in the closet. If you've heard that analogy, we all have skeletons in our closet. And the problem is that a lot of us spend most of our time trying to keep that closet door closed. What does that do? It robs us of our energy because we're putting so much focus, so much energy in keeping that door closed. We don't want that skeleton to show up in our life. We want to keep it under wraps. And then as life goes by, we throw some more things in there because we didn't like the way we behaved or the things we did or who we were. So what's the answer? The answer is to open the door. But the good news is we don't have to open the door all at once. We have an opportunity to open up in a way that's comfortable for us or at least manageable so but what happens when we open the door when we open the door that skeleton starts to collapse in front of us why because the skeleton doesn't have any muscle on its own the only thing that keeps it up is our own fear of the skeleton it's our own pushing against the door that keeps it up and keeps it haunting us So when we open the door and we honestly look at it, we let it out and we work with it, then it becomes our best friend. And then we can move on. And that can change us drastically in our lives. We can look at ourselves differently and we can look at our life very differently. So one of the experiences in my life that might be useful to share is that when I was a freshman in college, I was home for Christmas holidays. I took my mother Christmas shopping. I was driving and it was snowing out and it was nighttime. And there was this elderly gentleman who had a black rain suit on and an umbrella he was holding. He walked in front of my car. I hit him and I killed him. And that was by far the most painful experience in my life. So what happened as a result of that experience? That first night, the most powerful thing that happened to me was I kneeled at my bedside and I prayed for forgiveness for that. I felt a presence come into that room that was overwhelming. It was overwhelmingly loving and forgiving that I was ever changed because I realized that something really outside of me did exist. I was able to get up from the side of that bed, lay down and fall asleep. Now I had to go through a lot after that. I met with a family, went to the funeral and I've, because of Psyche, I've been able to go even deeper with it. I've had experiences in a psyche balance where that man was and I were having a conversation and we were 
forgiving each other and we were geez that's beautiful sharing understanding of life like i hadn't really thought of before and you can think of that as probably the worst experience in my life but also you can think of that as probably the best experience in my life now if i would have tried to put it in the closet and keep it there for the rest of my life it would have been pretty miserable life and pretty miserable experience so i did have to open that door and i did have to let that skeleton out of my closet and work with it so hopefully that's helpful to people to know that we all have stuff we have in a closet it doesn't have to be there we can really change and we may not even consciously know what that stuff is in the closet but psyche can help you get at it thank you so much for sharing that honestly that was one of the most profound and powerful stories I've ever heard in an interview. So I, I really appreciate that, Ron. Having experienced something like that, people listening to this show, to this interview, and people that I'm going to share this interview also have similar experiences, lost a parent, experienced some very serious trauma, and they've been through therapy and it, it doesn't the meds and everything don't really seem to, to help them get past that. Do you have a message for those people? Medications, just a thought on that. I, in my experience, medications can save people's lives. I'm, it's not a black and white thing for me. Yes, sure. medication, no medications. If someone's suicidal or really in rough shape, the medications can really make a big difference. But I don't see them as a long-term solution. I think the long-term solution is to open that door. And so the message is, there's always hope. There's always hope. Never give up. And I, I have a lot of people come to me, so I've tried everything. Nothing ever works. And I can't guarantee that to that person or those people that this is going to help. But the most important thing is don't give up. Keep looking for the answer. Maybe you'll find it here. Maybe you won't. But keep looking. And, and if you're willing to have an adventure... We can have some fun together. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's obviously American culture has changed so much over the last the last few decades. Um, I had a guest on last week. His name was Joe Gallenberger, and he was saying that, yeah, when I was growing up, the way that men and boys were raised was we got to be tough enough to go to war. And yeah. it's not like that anymore. But we also have the problem of like guys and men, boys not being able to step into manhood. Uh, I hear this from women all the time. It's it's so hard to actually find a confident, secure yeah. guy these, yeah. th these days. So they end up dating older guys. Do you have anything to, to say to that about this? You became a man, you stepped into your path and your purpose and all of that. And I think that's such a big part of it, of why some of us can't mature. We're not able to, to take the mantle of that path and purpose that was really ordained for us. Can you talk about that? It took me a while to get there. And I'm going to suggest that to people be open that it doesn't have to take a long time to keep looking for the answer. Keep asking yourself good questions and the answers can come to you. But yeah, to simplify that, keep asking really good questions. What's the best thing that can really happen to me today? How wonderful can my life really be? What's keeping me from having that wonderful life is if don't be attached to any answer per se don't be afraid to ask the question but ask it 
keep asking and then realize you're not alone to to whatever spiritual path you're connected to use it work with it i worked with a lot of veterans who would claim that they had no spiritual connection but yet the place where they felt really connected was in nature in the woods so they'd go sit out there in the woods and stay there for hours and so that was their spiritual path and that has to be honored and accepted and and recognized yeah in na and aa people who are listening they're familiar with that i I believe the 11th or one of the higher steps is intervention by a a higher power and you've had direct experience with this that has literally shaped your life that's Um, correct Aside from that experience of the uh, the presence in the room after that night, were there any other notable spiritual experiences you had early in your life that you're willing to talk about or even later? Yeah, I've had plenty. So the first one that comes to my mind is when I was working in Maine at the time at a mental health clinic, and I had, had met some other people who were into alternative things like I was. I, I They had told me about a place in Maine that was a virgin forest and it was a, a white pine tree virgin forest so in other words it was just, uh, a bunch of trees there that had never been logged or cut down and white pine trees if you go out uh, here in the northeast now if you find a white pine tree that their trunks are you can put your arms around them for the most part these trees were so big that you know, three people would have to join their hands around to get around the trunks of these trees. So I heard about where they were, and I decided that I was going to go there and check them out. As I, I had to hike in, so I parked my car in a lot. I'm hiking in, and all of a sudden, I feel this incredible pain in my chest, as if I was going to have a heart attack. And... I'm walking and I'm wondering, am I going to really make it? I have severe pain in my chest. So I look down and I see a heart-shaped rock and it's all red in the middle of nowhere. This is weird. So perfect shape, heart-shaped rock, all red. I just felt compelled. I had to pick it up. So I picked it up. I said, there's some meaning to this. Why am I seeing this thing? And so I keep walking. And finally, I get to this area where, you know, some of the trees were. What I discovered was there was this perfect circle of white pine trees and huge, massive trees, big circle. And in the middle, it was totally open like an amphitheater. And I felt so drawn. I just had to go into the center of that circle of trees. And I get into the center and I felt incredible energy coming down on me. And I knew what I had to do with this heart. I had to leave it there at the center of the circle. That was like the purpose. So I put it down and the message I got in the process was open your heart. You're killing yourself. Simple statement. Open your heart. You're killing yourself. But at the same time, I felt my heart opening. So the energy was coming in. It was like, whew. (laughs) <laughs> I started to cry like crazy. And then, of course, I had to go around and hug every tree. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but uh, w- what a gift that was. It's so important. We don't realize how important it is for us to love ourselves. 
And I was talking earlier about unconditional love. It has just so many layers. And so like that has almost become my spiritual path is learning about love. Are you choosing love or are you choosing fear? There was a book by that name. And all of that, that was a powerful experience in my life. And I've had many different kind of experiences like that. And each time when they come, it's just at the right time, just the right message that I needed to receive. You know, another time, quick one. I was questioning, does God really exist? And I walked outside. This was around the same time. And there was a heart-shaped rock on the ground. Perfect heart-shaped rock. I started to heart-shaped rock. What's up with the rock-shaped rocks? This is yeah, I started to collect these things. I started finding so many of them. I I started to wonder. I started to believe that God really does exist because every time I question that, I keep seeing these heart-shaped rocks. And I was being really a little bit testy here. So one day I was in the clinic in my office. And I said, okay, I'm really going to believe it now that God exists if something happens while I'm sitting right here at my desk. That's a challenge. Yeah. I heard a knock on the door. Knock. And I go, yeah. This woman comes in, a colleague, bouquet of dozen roses. She says, I don't know why, but I got this urge to buy you a dozen roses. <laughs> and I went, oh, my God. <laughs> wow. So I said, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's been a beautiful journey. And so whenever I seem to need more concrete messages, I get them. But I don't need them as much anymore. You know, it's, Do you have any... Oh, sorry, continue. No, that's good. Do, do you have any advice on how to get into that flow? Do you do it through prayer or was that, did that just, you just naturally have that because you were an intuitive? I, I don't know that I know the answer totally, but what I believe is that anytime we ask a question, immediately we get an answer. And there are plenty of gurus out there, you know, who, have talked about that tony robbins being one of those who i have spent some time with so you ask a question your subconscious mind is going to give you an answer right away or actually i should say your super conscious mind because there is this other part of ourselves the higher self you might look at it or spirit mm -hmm. right who's going to give you that answer right away very often though we're not listening or we don't give it time to hear the answer or we don't believe we can hear the answer. There's a lot of static. It's like a radio that has a lot of static on it. And what's that static? That could be the subconscious mind. All those messages that we have in the background. Now, you ask a question like whatever it was, am I lovable or will I ever be successful? Whatever the question is, that it takes just a split second for you to get that answer. But if you have a lot of subconscious material that's saying, I'll never amount to anything or something like that, you're not even going to hear that answer because that subconscious material is so loud, it's shouting in your ear. So you have to work on yourself and clear out the fears, the worries, the subconscious stuff that's in the way. 
and then you'll start hearing the answers. But what I very often tell people is never assume you're alone. Assume you're not alone. And then reach out to whatever you believe is there or could be there for you. And a book that I often recommend is Hiring the Heavens by Gene Slater. Just been a very meaningful book for me and changed my life a lot. And it and that book is all about how to reach out to angels. And oh God, I could tell you some powerful stories about please, angels. Please, please change your life. Uh, <laughs> the first time I was playing around with the the idea that angels are there and they're there to help you if you ask for the help. So you got to ask number one. I I read the book and she has a what she uses a committee structure to to work with angels. You can have a relationship committee of angels that help you in relationships. You can have a business committee that helps you in your relationship and in your business. And you can have you set up a mission statement in those committees. It for those people who are good at having mission statements, goal statements, and all of that. In business meetings. Yeah, you know, who are into that stuff can do this really fast. It took me a while. But uh, so mission statement, I want to be happily married, let's say. And then what's the goal? I want to I want to meet the love of my life within the next year or six months or something. And then what you do is you come up with short-term objectives or things that you're going to do to get you where you want to go. And you ask your angels to play a role in that. Help me get over my fear of how I look or dating or whatever. And you you work on those things. And so that process can be really eye-opening for yourself to, to look at yourself that way. But then you put it to the test and you say, okay, angels, if you're there, show me that this stuff works. So the first trial, the test I gave to my angels, I love nature photography, said, I'd love to go out today and take some pictures of something I've never taken a picture of before. So I grabbed my camera, went out. I wasn't out about 15 minutes. And there in front of me, broad daylight, eye level, was a barred owl. I'd never seen a barred owl before, let alone taking a picture of one. <laughs> Owls just don't usually come out during the day. And he wasn't like way up in a tree somewhere. He's right there in front of me. Like in my path, I would have bumped into him if I didn't see him. And I took 60 photographs of the owl and he was so accommodating he actually posed in different ways. You like this? How about this? How about this? It was phenomenal. And I was just blown away by this. And uh, I could have stayed there all day, probably. But I took, after taking about 60 photographs, I looked down at my camera to look to see how everything was going good. I looked up, and as if the owl wasn't there, I was like, where did he go? <laughs> it was gone. So that really uh, encouraged me to play with it some more. So then uh, the, that week, I established a business committee because that's what was more important to me. I said, I'd like to have three new paying clients by the end of the week. Let's say on Sunday, it was, it was a Tuesday. I was just in my car driving thinking, okay, angels, let's you know set up a business committee. I'd like to have three new paying clients by Sunday. They gave me three that day. And they gave me two the next day. Then I went, wait a minute, I'm still working a full-time job. I can only handle so much. So I made it it clear that what I really wanted, we have to be specific. What I want was 
I'd love to have 10 paying clients a week. And they gave me 10 paying clients every week, six months in a row. And one time I tried to trick them. I said, okay, this week I want 11. Okay, they gave me 11. It was totally ridiculous. <laughs> that is awesome. I then I started telling everybody about it because it's just it's so precious and I can there's so many stories that kept coming back to me saying miraculous things of things happening to people doing that. So the only thing I want to say to that now is is that after six months things started to change, and what I noticed was changing was it was they made it clear they were there and they're going to be there for me. But I don't always know what is in my highest good. And ultimately mm. I have to let go of that. And I have to trust that what's in my highest good is going to work out. Because if I try to force something, that's a different story. And I'm maturing now a little bit and all of that. They were very accommodating initially and treating me like a new kid on the block or something. But now it's more of a mature relationship that I have and probably more of a relationship with God now than with angels. But if I get pissed at God, I'll turn to my angels and ask for help. <laughs> That's just the funny part of me, that frustrating part of me sometimes, trying to do an end run around the boss. Okay, he won't help me. Will you guys help me? <laughs> so you go to dad, he says no, you go to mom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It doesn't work very well. <laughs> Do you have a, a non-denominational relationship with, with your creator or with the creator or yeah. you identify as Christian? Nah. I do have a particular following and I'll share that. I'm Please. You know, a student of the teachings of Avatar Mirababa. And Oh, wow. Yeah, that's where my focus is. But Baba himself really talks about not being attached to any religion or any path per se. Absolutely. Uh, I won't, now that you brought that up, because I've read some of, of his books, he's one of the few Indian teachers, or even spiritual figures in general, that has mentioned the various subtle bodies. Is that something that your group or that you have any familiarity with? Mayor Baba talks about the gross body, our subtle body, and our mental bodies, and that we actually go through a process of Forget no name, involution. So we actually are made up of many different types of impressions because of our experiences in the world. And we tend to see the world in a certain way based on those impressions. And that over time, we start to let go of those impressions and we start to reconnect to our divinity. And that's the journey we're on, is going back to our memory of who we are. Because we're already there. It's not becoming that. It's just remembering who we are rather than being confused by all the other stuff. I love that because there's this huge notion that we always have to become and we always have to improve and we always have to grow and develop. And there's truth in that, but there's also massive significant truth in the fact that we're perfect as we are. And if nothing is separate, there's, there's nothing to escape from. Yeah. But I want to go more into the Meher Baba material that you're that you really live, especially these teachings about love. He was really about love right. and this divine love being the whole purpose of yeah. of our existence. And you know, it's interesting when I think of the only thing I would want to say to a person if I couldn't ever see them again would be, 
I love you. That's really the only thing that matters. My, I lost my father many years ago. If I would see him again, that's the first thing that would come out of my mouth. And yeah. a lot of people feel that as well. But it's something that we don't really think about on the daily basis. We hardly ever sit down to contemplate that essence of love that we all have and are. How does that actually work out for you on a daily basis? Because you have a direct, your, this is your path, love, infinite love, divine love. So how do you really practice that? There's so many things that can get us destabilized or off of that path. So I've learned to keep remembering my beloved Avatar Merbaba. I have his pictures in different places. And I, when I start a session, this is what I say, Baba, help me connect to you. And please guide me as to what I think, do, and say. And please help me connect to this person in a way that is in their highest good. And then I remind myself that it's not me who's doing the work. It's Baba who's doing the work. So it's getting our own ego out of the way. So I would say probably the most important thing to do to come from a place of love is to get your own ego out of the way. So whatever it is your ego is, you think your ego is or whatever, just keep giving it over to who, whatever path you choose, keep giving it over to that belief system, that path, and get yourself out of the way. Because I see it over and over again. I see it myself and others. When we really try to bring our ego into it, then we start to really mess it up. Yeah, it seems, this is how, this is my personal experience with it. It's as if there's this divine river of energy and love and peace that is always continuously flowing on us. Yes. But when the ego material gets in the way and we get too absorbed in plans, time, form, other people, stress, it's this, that connection just slowly gets obscured, yeah. but it never stops. But eventually if that obscuration is strong enough, you forget who you are and what that whole thing is. Yes. We have so, to practice having a spiritual muscle. So, yeah. We just have to keep going back to source for our answers and our strength. The word surrender comes to my mind, just surrendering. And I think you mentioned earlier that in your, even in your therapy sessions, it's like the ego wants to reassert its dominion and control and you just got to let it go again and again. Yeah. And my ego says, oh, you're good at what you do. If they aren't changing, then there's something wrong with the other person or I'm doing something wrong. And then I go, oops, no, it's not me at all. So whatever it is, your will, Baba, that kind of thing. That is awesome. Have you ever ran into issues administering Psych-K when you're at the VA or in these more, I guess, like orthodox environments? Were there any problems doing things like this? I was very afraid of that at the VA because they're very structured and they have a system where you have to be certified in any particular modality that you're using and you have to be cleared to use that modality. And they have this committee there of people that says, yes, you can practice this now because you've gotten the certifications and you've, you've reached a level of competency. Now that all sounds well and good. But the system itself is very slow on catching up to cutting edge things. So they tend to be stuck 
in old modalities rather than taking risk and trying new things and different things. So I was afraid that somebody was going to come along and tell me not to do what I'm doing. And the, the people that worried me the most were the psychiatrists. And that day finally came. The day came when I was approached by a psychiatrist and they said, what are you doing? <laughs> but they were, they framed it in a positive way. We haven't seen changes like this before. Wow. Yeah. What are you doing? What's your secret sauce? And I was able to explain it in terms of the subconscious mind. And because these were open-minded, ultimately more than one psychiatrist, psychiatrist, they said, okay, don't tell us anymore. Just keep doing what you're doing. See, because I, if I got into more details, that would maybe put them in somewhat of a compromising position. So they just didn't want to know anymore. Eventually, over time, though, a colleague of mine who trained in Psyche then demonstrated Psyche on one of the psychiatrists. And she was then an advocate for trying to get it introduced into the VA as a whole acceptable category, modality. But that never really ended up going anywhere. But at some point, I think that will happen. Incredible. Incredible. You've said that you were using traditional psychotherapy and how often did that actually work and how many years did it take and what was that in comparison to this case? The kind of my experience has been this, that in traditional therapy, probably five, 10% of the people that I worked with after a year would show some significant change. But there would be a large percentage of people where you just felt like you kept seeing them and seeing them and they really weren't changing. In fact, they were quite stuck in their own story. Do you know what I mean by that? It's like that's just too important to them. They didn't want to let go of it. So what they liked was coming and telling their story and having a problem so they could get attention and not really changing. I was burning out. I didn't enjoy my work. So it really flipped when I started using Psyche, that probably 95% of the people I was working with were having significant changes pretty quickly. So the other people would be seeing me for a year or more. And Psyche people would come from one to six sessions and I would never see them again because they really got to where they needed to go. Um, So incredible. And these were significant issues like a veteran who lost his arm, for example, and was just miserable. And one session, he was able to, he was going around singing praises of of how his life really changed, uh, just having one process with Psyche. Everybody's different. Some people I did see more, but they could see the value in it, that it was helping them really clear things out. And it wasn't a suppression. It wasn't a medication that was just covering things up. It was real change. Incredible. We actually have a couple questions. One sec. So from Marissa Lay, the, the gist of this is she's, she's a meditation uh, yoga teacher. So she's having people come to her with problems and she's having this issue with feeling drained 
after talking to certain people and I'm sure how do people that. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah how do people who are therapists who are teachers who deal with people that are really just low vibrations just spewing out of them yeah how, how do we clean ourselves or keep our vessels clean or just avoid the, the energy drain that can come from some of these interactions now everybody's unique but for me I was taking responsibility for other people so most likely she has some kind of a subconscious program that is saying that she's not good unless other people get better or she's just taking on their burden as a way of doing her job. It's like she's taking responsibility for their stuff on some level. So that's the thing that needs to change to get your own energy back. They don't need you, period. They don't need you. And Psyche is pretty clear about that. It's really about helping somebody else do their own work. It's not about you doing anything for anyone else. And uh, that's where most people will get drained. The other way you might get drained is just being an empath, being very open. And I've had that problem where you're just picking everything up from everybody else. And so <laughs> it you if you're doing that and you're holding on to it, then that's that's going to make you sick. And ultimately, you need to just allow things to keep flowing through you, clearing things out. So grounding, clearing, those kinds of things can be very helpful. And I, I hear people talk about making sure they're protected and all that. I'm not a strong advocate of surrounding yourself in white light and all that stuff because it, oftentimes that's coming from a place of fear. Mm. But I'm a relationship with Baba, so I just asked Baba to guide me what to think, do, and say, and keep the other person safe and me safe and that kind of thing. I used to have this issue in my early 20s when I was working at, a, at an acupuncture clinic. That there was this machine that we would use to, to fix people that had different muscle or different issues that were physical and musculoskeletal. And one of the issues I would have sometimes is I would feel the person's pain in my body. But I never, I don't identify myself as an empath, as intuitive. Maybe that's, that means that I am, right? But that was an issue that, that I had. So oh, other people have that problem too. And it's just, it could just be the side effect of being an empath. But what, are there any actual tools, any specific practices that you did for yourself to limit that uh, contact or that issue? I use Psyche a lot. So I use Psyche a lot to, to clear out uh, any emotional stuff that I may have picked up. Think about when I was working with the veterans, they would tell me things that were so horrible that I would have PTSD or I'd have the residual side effect of it. I'd go home that night not being able to sleep because I was running those scenes through my head. It's kind of like watching a horror movie and you try to go to sleep right after a horror movie or something, you're running that stuff through your head all the time. So I'd use Psyche to clear out the trauma that I picked up just from listening to that person tell their story. And then you have to look at your own beliefs and change some of your own beliefs about things. Safe, for example. So many people walk around this world thinking they're not safe on a subconscious level. So they're always on edge. They're always looking for that next shoe to drop or something bad to happen. And that's just programming, but it's draining you. Yeah. Wow. That, that statement about not being safe reminds me of the, the subject of anxiety. One of the top Google searches for what meditation can help you with 
is can meditation help me with anxiety? So I wanted to ask you, we have an epic of, of anxiety and depression and opioid, an opioid crisis right now, worse than, than previously, might be because of social media. What are your takes on why this is just going up and up year after year and what, what your solutions are for it? I think we're going through a process of transform, transformation in our world. And I think we're, this is really, I believe we're kind of, and Baba talks about it, going into this golden age. It's going to take a while, I think, to get there, but we're going through a transformation. And an analogy that Baba used at one time was that of how they make sugar cane. So you actually boil the sugar cane and all the impurities come to the top. And uh, then the person comes along and skins off the top and removes the impurities so that you have a pure vat of sugarcane. I believe that's what's going on in the world today is we're going through a purification process. There's so many things that we're needing to clear out that we've been carrying with us that need to be removed. I forgot exactly what your question was, but anxiety, what we can do about it personally. And even as a culture, it seems to be a real problem in America. First of all, understand that there's something in you that you're feeling. You could be picking up energy from the world around you, which is a challenge right now, to be honest with you. I feel it every day, no matter where I go, there's, it's hard to even go out in the woods and find peace right now because there's so right. much energy in the world, right? So th we're feeling the anxiety of the world as well as our own anxiety. And so what can we do the things that you're drawn to? So for one person, it may be spending time out in the woods. Another person is meditating. Not everybody likes to meditate or right. find it easy to do. I'm one of those. So I tend to be more of a techie kind of guy and I'm looking for that answer in, in some kind of thing. And so I have these little tools that I use. One is just going on YouTube and it's amazing what's free on there. They have these amazing calming videos and soundtracks that are just, you, you can feel your energy just shift almost immediately just listening to those. So I like listening to calming stuff. Plus, I use some other things too, techniques that are really good that, that help me center and ground. It's wonderful. Could you share some of those grounding techniques? Yeah. One that, that I've only started using is Dr. Jerry Tennant. He was an ophthalmologist who had encephalitis and he was seriously ill. He was given up by the doctors. They said he had a limited time to live. He did his own research and he's an amazing man. He's really been able to conceptualize how the body works so well that it makes perfect sense to me. Our bodies are made up of energy and we have what he called energy battery packs. And this is very much based in the acupuncture meridian system. So we have these battery packs in our bodies and Fear, anxiety, all of those things drains our battery packs. So as the charge in our cells diminishes, it, it opens us up to more illness and stress and other things in the world. He's able to measure it. He can show you that cells cannot have cancer if they have a charge, a certain charge. But if they reduce their charge over time. And if the charge gets very low, then they automatically are very susceptible to cancer. 
he discovered that you can recharge battery packs in your body in a number of different ways. One is meditation. Another is eating good food, like organic food. But he's also created some equipment that's very Oh, fancy. Tell us about the equipment. So he has something called a biomodulator and a transducer and amazing stuff. So the he has a protocol for how to use the equipment. One of the uh, things he discovered was just that when your battery packs get so low, it's just like a normal battery, all right, a normal battery here. When the battery charge gets very low, very weak, it actually reverses its polarity. And the problem is if you try to charge this battery with its polarity reversed, it won't work. It won't charge. So one of the first things you have to do is you have to reverse the polarity. You have to get it back in line. So using his transducer, in, it's something that you actually hold on top of your head because you're working with that center column in your body. When you use that transducer, that brings your all of your polarities in alignment in the, in the correct way for all of your battery packs. The battery packs are the organ systems. So there's this, let's say the spleen stomach circuit, kidney circuit, those kinds of things. I'm not an expert in, in acupuncture work, but conceptually this makes perfect sense to me. If you want then to get healthy again, you have to get, make sure you're, you're, you're in alignment. Then he has a way of you can charge your battery packs and he has a protocol you use every day to, to bring up the charge in your battery packs. Once you bring up the charge in your battery packs, then your cells can get up to the energy level they need and they're going to stay healthy. Things will balance out. Whatever kind of chronic illness you had is going to start to turn itself around and all of that. Fascinating work. And it's just what we need in this time. We're very dependent on the traditional system we have been for dealing with our health issues but it hasn't been working very well. So we need to better understand what's really going on in our body. And he offers us not only the equipment you can use, but a, a way of understanding what your body needs. And it's not just about equipment. So you have to watch your emotions as well. Mm-hmm. And so he's a very strong proponent of working with your subconscious and clearing out the traumas from your past and the emotional charges that you have because what happens is if you don't there's five key areas that he addresses if you don't address those key areas your battery is going to drain and it's going to reverse it's going to keep doing that so as long as you you keep not resolving your emotional traumas you're that's going to keep happening but then there's other areas in our lives we have to look at. Another is toxins, which I'm sure a lot of your viewers are aware of. Toxins in this world are quite prevalent. So they keep draining our system. So we have to work at really clearing out our toxic system. And we have to eat, right? We have to eat foods that have the right energy. And he's also uh, into dental work because he all of the acupuncture meridians go through the mouth and that each of the teeth in the mouth are connected to different organ systems and so that if you have an infection in a tooth for example that'll also do the same thing and and drain your battery pack little by little i've just been looking at all of those different aspects 
of my health. I'm 69. I want to live as long as I can. I want to have a healthy, productive life. And so I just want to make sure I'm doing everything I can to keep everything charged. Do you, what are your personal dietary guidelines? Are you vegetarian? Conceptually, I would love to be, but <laughs> That's I, such a great body answer. <laughs> my body hasn't uh, been very cooperative with that. So I still eat meat. We're doing grass-fed, that kind of thing now, but trying to cut down on the amount of meat. And uh, But I didn't realize I'd, supplementation seems to be have some value for me at this point in time. But Dr. Tennant had offers this nice uh, option, which is instead of taking like a, all these different kind of pills, he just essentially has put together like a shake kind of thing that's like food. And it has a lot of the essential stuff that we need in, in a way that we can assimilate it. So I've been doing that as well. So diet, yeah, we're, we do all organic. We grow our, a lot of our own food. We have a vegetable garden. And that brings us a lot of pleasure to have one. Gets us outside. It helps us stay connected to nature and those kinds of things. We eat organic and healthy as we can. Fantastic. So before we we draw near to to the end of the show, I wanted to turn back the dial in time and then bring it back again. What led you to Meher Baba and this relationship with the divine and with God growing up as an intuitive and then entering that? How did that happen? And what were the experiences that put you on that journey? And we're good on time. I'm just please share always had a spiritual connection it was something that I felt that there was something more right and so I explored that I was I grew up in an Episcopalian church and I was an altar boy and things and there's so much to say say, was, say it please say I, it I was just thinking about past life stuff so we bring into this for people who believe in past lives we bring into this life things from other lives and I have a, a memory of being a Roman Catholic priest in another lifetime. And I taught hellfire and brimstone. And my karma in this lifetime was to undo that, to understand the falsity of that and the, the damage that I did at that time. So I, I was in Episcopalian church and was following the, somewhat the traditional route. And then when I went on to college in my hippie days, all of a sudden I started looking at things differently. And John Denver's song, I see, I feel a part of everything I see. I remember that line. And that was, became my religion. And I just decided to go to every church, every different denomination, everything as just a, like an exploration. And I found that interesting. And I just realized that it wasn't about the structure at all. It was just about my own personal connection with spirit that mattered. And so I was doing a lot of exploring. Then when I graduated from college and I went on and I got a job in Maine as a therapist, I was exploring the different planes of consciousness. I had heard about it. I even read a little bit of Ram Dass stuff. And I heard that a colleague of mine another uh, psychologist was into Meribaba and I didn't know anything about Meribaba, just decided that I wanted to learn more. 
And it was funny because as soon as I made that decision, I was going to lunch and he was coming in the same door and we actually physically ran into each other. It was like, oh, ouch. Oh, you're the guy. Yeah, all right. I'd like to get together with you. How about we do that? So good. We did. And that's when the journey began. I was given by Ken, my friend, the book God Speaks. And I thought, God Speaks, this guy's arrogant. I started reading the first paragraph and I cried and I cried and I, I closed up the book and I said, okay, <laughs> you're God, I get it. <laughs> so I just had that transformation. It was, it was just all like that. And it's funny, it took me years to get around to reading the darn book. But that was the beginning of my journey of self-exploration. And you know, I went to, I ended up going, there's a center in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And then I went to India and it's been a wonderful journey. You, you spent time with him, correct, in India? No, uh, Mayor Baba dropped the body in 1969. I came after that, 1970. Fantastic. And fast forwarding now to... To, to where we are today, you had a lifetime on this journey of deep spirituality. Has it just gotten better every single year? Has, has the love just become deeper and, and more expansive? Or did you feel that there were real setbacks and dips and it's actually been quite a roller coaster? Yeah, somewhat of a roller coaster. A lot of Baba followers will joke about this. Oh, the new people are in their honeymoon phase and it's just, oh, you're in bliss. It's like heaven. And then well, a year or two goes by and you go, what happened? <laughs> what happened to that? So what I think happens is that we're maturing. So Baba pours it or God pours his love on us and wants us. He draws us in. But he also then will push us away a little because he wants to temper us. He wants us to long for union. He wants it. He doesn't want it to be easy because he wants us to be strong in our spiritual growth and understanding. If it comes too easy, then it's so easy to get off track. The hard times strengthen us. They, they, they make us stronger and more committed in that journey of love for God. Yeah. Absolutely. And is being an intuitive, I'm sure this will be easy for you. Is there a final statement or comment that you feel you want to share with, with the audience? Yeah, go within, follow your own path. Absolutely. Absolutely. Before we end, let's share your website. Can you tell everyone how to find you, Ron? Yeah, it's riseabovetrauma.com. Fantastic. And Psych, Psych K is pretty easy to find. You can just Google that. Or do you know the website offhand? Yes, Psyche.com, P-S-Y-C-H-K.com. And you can learn more about Psyche that way. It's primarily a tool working with a subconscious mind and clearing out those limiting beliefs and traumas that you have on a subconscious level. And it's pretty effective and efficient at what it does. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. For updates on future guests and shows, you can sign up to our newsletter. As a thank you, we'll send you a 10-minute video on getting out of duality, which has some very, very useful meditation pointers. So go to ryanjburton.com and click on Get Started. Thanks for tuning in. 
and see you on the next episode.